Thanks so much for leading us today. Team, we appreciate that. How's everyone doing today? Wonderful. It's good to be here. Uh, Family traditions or not, but we have a kind of a growing tradition in my family. When we sit around the table, the dinner table, uh, at night, uh, we will uh, pull out uh, uh, the question of the day. And what the question of the day is, is it's, it's a number of questions on little yellow cards. They're conversation starters. And uh, we have two growing boys, and typically their response to every question is one or two words. And so our goal as parents is to get them up to three or four words. And so we thought that we would ask a deep, penetrating questions around the dinner table uh, to try to encourage them to talk. Some of the questions are, are great questions, questions like, uh, you know, what was the best vacation uh, you ever had? What was the best vacation you ever had? And we'll kind of banter back and forth and think back to, uh, to, to times when we've taken as a family maybe a memorable vacation. There's a, a question in there that says, hey, if you could change one thing about your parents, uh, what would you change, right? And we, we actually always skip over that one because we're afraid that they'll go into the night. And so uh, we, we pass over that. Well, one of my favorites, though, one of the questions that I love if you could be any animal, uh, what animal would you be and why? I love that question. I, I think about it. Uh, not often. I, I don't have any aspirations of turning into an animal, but, uh, but I think it's fun to think about. And so I always ask the boys, hey, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? And, you know, sometimes they say a, an eagle or a tiger or a hippopotamus. And I'm like, why, why would you want to be that? Why would you want to be that? And they, and they share, and then I think about it. And to me, it's a significant question because I always think about, well, if I was an animal, what would eat me, right? Like, you know, would a snake get me? I'm like, I don't want to die that kind of death, and so I don't want to be an animal that a snake would eat. I don't want to be an animal that a tiger would devour because I don't want to be torn, you know, limb from limb. From limb. I think that would be kind of a, a rough way to go. And so I, I think about what would eat me, and then I think about, well, what would I eat? right? Because I'm an animal. And so, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a scavenger, right? I don't want to eat leftovers all the time. I mean, I like lasagna leftovers, but uh, anything else I don't love. And so I don't want to be a scavenger and just eat leftovers all the time. And then I think, well, I don't want to be a parasite, right? I don't, I don't want to eat just small stuff forever, you know? And that would not be a good existence. And so, so we asked this question, what, what would you be if you could be an animal and, and why? And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the Bible actually gives us the answer to that question. Like, it's hard to believe. I don't think Jesus had this in mind when the game was made. But do you know the Bible actually answers that question? If you could be any animal, uh, what animal uh, would you be? The, the Bible actually tells us if we were any animal, uh, we would be sheep we would be sheep that's not a good thing right i mean sheep have a reputation i mean sheep are not very intelligent they're not the smartest animals in the world i actually did a little research on sheep this last week and and found some interesting uh, fun facts there's a pastor and theologian his name's kent hughes and he wrote a commentary on the book of John. And in that commentary, he he quotes uh, another author by the name of Philip Keller. And he wrote a book on Psalm 23. And so he wrote a book on the shepherd and uh, the sheep. And it was really fascinating what I learned. But instead of just telling you, I thought I would show you uh, this morning. And so I've asked Brosnan uh, to help uh, this morning. Uh, Brosnan, come on. You guys don't know this. This is a little awkward. We don't typically do this at Wren. Brazen, how are you doing? Good. Good. Are you nervous yet? I would be. Uh, I mean, at this point in your life, I mean, it, I mean, you don't have a reputation to withhold. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you can have fun, and you're not going to be hurt or bothered by anything I say or do to you in the next two to three minutes, are you? Probably. Great. <laughs> Well, forgive me. Um, you're going to be our sheep, okay? And so we have a little... You, wanna, you want me to put this on, or would you like to put You'd like to put it on, okay? And I know it's kind of hard to see, and so we'll scoot, we'll scoot out of the way. 
That's good. I think that's a good look for you. You guys don't know this, but, but Brazen's actually done, I mean, you've done some theater, you uh, have some movie credits to your name. I'm not making that up. And so this is going to be in your wheelhouse. Have you ever been a sheep before? No. No? Okay. Can you give me a quick, like, sheep impression? Bah. Bah. That's, that's strong. you got a lot of talent. So, um, so what I need you to do is I need you to get down like a sheep would, like on all, on all fours. That's good. That's good. Give me your ba. Ba. Very good. So, so I read about this in, in this com- commentary. It was, it was really good. It was, about, it was about sheep being cast down. Have you ever heard about a sheep being cast down before? Some people just say a sheep is cast. They don't say cast down. And what happens is, is the, sheep, when the sheep is tired, he'll, he'll rest. Right? And so I need you to, to kind of rest, just kind of get low get low and they'll find like a, a little indentation maybe in the ground like a, a little spot where they can curl up and they can get comfortable and what happens is if their if their wool is long and uh, and if they're if they're a big sheep which Brazen isn't but but if they are what happens is they they start to lean a little bit right they start to lean and they get they get pretty confident and, and maybe a little bit too cocky because then what happens is they I'm going to put you on your side I'm going to put you on your side Okay, what happens is, is they turn to their side like this, and then they, they kind of kick their legs a little bit because they, they realize that they're, that they're on their side. And so they kick their legs to try to correct themselves. Um, do, your, do your hands, too, or your, your hooves, your paws, whatever. And so and, and they're, they're trying to correct themselves to get back onto their belly. But what happens is they end, up, they end up turning on their back like this. Now kick your, just like that. Now, be, be a frustrated sheep. That's good. That's good. And see, what happened, we kind of we joke about this and, and laugh because we see Brazen here uh, on his back. But I actually have a picture of a sheep that's been cast. And so take, take a look at this. And what happens if there's not, if there's not a shepherd around uh, to lift up the sheep, uh, the sheep just lays there uh, helpless. And the sheep is uh, exposed uh, to uh, the elements and is exposed to uh, the enemy. Brazen, you can, you can get up. Here, I'll help you. That was great. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. And again, I'm really sorry. And please forgive me. Uh, sheep are helpless animals. And we, in Scripture, are called uh, sheep. Uh, by, by all accounts, sheep are not uh, the most intelligent animals out there. There are no sheep in AP classes. Right? They're not the sharpest uh, knives in the drawer. They're a few sandwiches short of a picnic. There, there's stories about sheep literally walking into open fires. If a sheep is hungry and there's, there's food nearby, uh, oftentimes a sheep will overlook the food that's in front of them and instead kind of, kind of trail off and fi- uh, follow a trail uh, to, to find food that isn't there. Uh, even though right within uh, their, their site there, there is food there that they could eat and enjoy. Sheep are stubborn uh, and they're, they're timid. They don't, they don't get in fights. You don't, you don't see sheep duking it out. They're, they're weak animals. And scripture uh, refers to us as sheep. Uh, we, uh, as a people, are needy, uh, and we are in need of constant uh, care. No matter how healthy uh, we may seem, no matter how strong uh, we may uh, perceive ourselves to be, uh, we are, are weak uh, and we need care. Sheep are not strong. Uh, they are not self-sufficient. Sheep are not fearless. Sheep don't have the ability to figure things out on their own. Uh, sheep are prone uh, to be cast. And scripture uh, refers uh, to you uh, and to me as sheep. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, uh, the sheep of his pasture. 
So scripture teaches that we are created in the image of God. Uh, We are valuable. Uh, We are God's prized possessions. Uh, We are are loved. Uh, We are the pinnacle of his creation. We are uh, the crown of God's creation. And yet, uh, at the same time, uh, we are sheep. And that is not uh, good news. It's not good news, but there is good news this morning. Uh, Despite the fact that we are helpless, uh, despite the fact that we are weak, uh, God is actually quite helpful, uh, and he is quite strong. And scripture uh, refers to uh, Jesus, to God's son, as uh, the good shepherd. And so the good news this morning is our helplessness does not disqualify us uh, from God's help. Uh, Jesus has compassion on his sheep and not disgust. John chapter 9 verse 36 reads, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right, and so today uh, I want to encourage uh, your heart and your soul and I want to encourage my own uh, by looking at the claims of Jesus when he said, uh, I am the good shepherd. I think when we understand what Jesus meant by those words, it will speak life into our weary souls. And so I want to encourage us on one hand. And and secondly, uh, I want to challenge us. Because depending upon how uh, we view Jesus and his claim, uh, that will either be good news uh, to us or it will be uh, very unattractive and unappealing news. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to John uh, chapter 10. John uh, chapter 10. If you don't have uh, your Bibles with you this morning, these passages uh, will be on the screen and you can certainly follow along. John chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 1. John 10, 1 reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6 reads, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying uh, to them. Uh, Scripture teaches us that Jesus uh, knows his sheep. He knows you uh, and he knows me. There are two uh, main types of, of sheep folds. Uh, in Scripture or in uh, the time when uh, the New Testament was written. Uh, One was more out in the country. Uh, It it was, I don't want to say it was flimsy, but there wasn't as much effort or work that went into making it. It was a a short, maybe stone wall uh, that they had with a a small uh, opening where it would serve as kind of a gate for uh, the shepherd to get in. It would prevent the sheep from getting out. Uh, but when you would gather with more people, there was more of a communal corral, right? It was, it was a larger gathering place for uh, the sheep. It, it was kind of a sturdier structure. And there was a, a specific entryway or a doorway where there would be a gatekeeper. And then the gatekeeper would let the shepherd in. I think scripture is probably talking about that, that second sheepfold, that second corral, uh, more so than the first. And when we kind of look at the imagery in John 10, really one through uh, the middle of the chapter, you'll uh, see why. But Jesus here is, is teaching uh, the, the Pharisees uh, that he is uh, the gatekeeper. He is the one uh, who allows people uh, to come in and go out. Now, you can imagine if it was a community corral, if you walk in and there's sheep everywhere, and they're not just your sheep, there's other sheep there too, you're probably thinking, man, a lot of these sheep look alike. Right? And so if there's all these sheep together, I mean, how do you differentiate between which ones are yours uh, and which ones belong to another shepherd? Well, what would happen is the shepherd would walk in and he would know his sheep by name. 
right? He would give them names according to their characteristics. Uh, he, he would look at them and he would say, this sheep right here has a, has a, has a long nose and this is, this is long nose. And he would call them by name. And so he'd walk into the corral and he'd begin to call out the names of the sheep. And the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd and follow that shepherd. And so Jesus is painting a picture here of, of being uh, the good shepherd. Verse 3 says, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, uh, and he calls his own sheep by name uh, and leads them out. Uh, Jesus is the great shepherd, and he calls his sheep by name. Right? He, he calls you and he calls me by name. Maybe you hear that and you think, well, what? what's the big deal? You know, I mean, so what? You know, he, he knows my name and he knows your name. What, what's the big deal? Well, it, it's a big deal because the God of the universe personally knows you. I remember when I was in seminary, one of the first classes I attended was a, was a rather large class. It was uh, required for all students to take. It was an intro to theology class, and there probably was 80 or 90 students in there. I don't remember exactly how many, but I remember uh, walking into class, and they had kind of these stadium seats almost, these tables that you would, you'd sit around. And I remember walking in there, and, and I was timid, and I was a little bit intimidated walking in. I mean, here's you know, you're sitting in front of guys whose books you've read, and you're excited to learn from them and hear from them. And I remember sitting down and unzipping my bag and putting my computer on the table, and I, I opened it up and, you know, fired on the computer. I was, I was getting ready to take notes and to learn, and I, and I kind of looked up, and the professor was looking at me, and I caught his eye, and I kind of gave him one of those obligatory smiles that, you know, was like, hey, I'm really happy to be here when I really was scared to death. And uh, he looked at me and uh, he said, Hey, James, how are you? First day of class. Never taken attendance before. I never met him before. And he, and he said my name. And I, I did like, like look over my shoulder. I'm like, is he, is he talking to me? Like, have we met before? Like, I'm almost positive that like the faculty didn't get together and have my picture and go, hey, keep an eye out for this guy. Like I, that wasn't me. And what he did is he, is he went through everyone that was in his class and he looked at everyone's picture and he learned everyone's name. Right? And so he, he, he prayed for the people that were going to sit in the seats that were in front of him. And he prayed for them uh, by name. I have a friend that does leadership conferences across the country and whenever... Uh, he, he teaches whenever he's going to do one of these conferences. He'll walk around the room before anyone shows up, and he'll just touch the chairs, and he'll, he'll pray for the people that are going to be sitting there. And I always love the image of that. He doesn't know their name. He doesn't necessarily know who they are, but he's just, he's just praying for them because there's a, a person that's going to sit there. Okay, well, in that moment, I, I went from feeling really insignificant uh, to, to feeling a, a little unique. Like someone went out of their name or out of their way to, to know my name. Right? Do you know that the God of the universe knows your name? Right? And so you, you, you wake up in, in the morning and he says, Good morning, Gloria. You know, good afternoon, Jennifer or J Mo. Good evening, Chris. Like he, he, he knows our names. He has a relationship with us. Scripture teaches us that our, our relationship with the Lord isn't just us and Him. I say we can have a personal relationship with the Lord, and we do have a personal relationship with the Lord, but we don't have a private relationship with Him. I mean, Scripture teaches us that we do life in the context of community, we, we come together as, as a body of Christ. It's, it's not just us and the Lord. You know, there, there's a whole lot more of, of we and us than, than me and I in Scripture. So, so it's not as if we just pull back from everyone else and we say, well, God knows my name and, and I'm going to kind of do my thing with the Lord and I'm not going to pay any attention to anyone else. Scripture doesn't teach that. It says we, 
We do life in the context of community, and yet in the context of that community, in the context of this community, you, you come here and you sit here and you rub shoulders with these people and get to know these people and learn their stories and pray for them and walk with them and do life with them. And in the context of that, God still knows your name. And so scripture is teaching us here that that God, that Jesus, uh, the great shepherd, uh, he knows our name. The sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name uh, and he leads them out. I love love that image of of the shepherd leading the sheep out. Right? Because Jesus sets the pace in life. Right? He is the leader and we are the followers. Right? We, we, we love the idea of, of leading. I mean, some of us have been given the gift of leadership. Right? You spend time with some folks here and you quickly realize that, man, they're the leaders. They're the ones that are going to take the hill. They're out in front. And we, we love that. I mean, we, there's something in us that want, wants to follow. Right? And so we follow leaders. And that's not a bad thing. We, we love books on leadership. Right? We're always reading the next book on leadership. Okay, but there is an aspect of the Christian life that is about followership, not about leadership. Right? We're, we're following the pace that the good shepherd that Jesus sets for us. And so all the time we, we go as parents out of our way to tell our kids, hey, don't, don't be a follower. Hey, don't be a follower. I, I mean, I tell my kids the same thing. Like, I, I want them to be leaders. I want them to rise up. I want them to be strong. I don't want them following all the time. And I get that. But, you know, there's been moments as, as a dad where I've, I've taken a step back and I've seen particular attributes or qualities in my children. And I, and I say to the Lord, God, if, if, if Cademan or if Noah or if Amelia, if they're not going to be great leaders, then I pray that they'll be great followers of you. Like I, I pray that, that you'll be the shepherd in their lives, setting the pace. And scripture says when, when Jesus calls, we recognize uh, his voice, and he goes out uh, before us. Verse 4 says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so Jesus is using a, a word picture here. He's using a, a picture that, uh, that you would think the audience would know and understand. It was kind of part of their world, part of their culture. They understand the, the shepherd and the, the sheep uh, metaphor and that imagery. They, w- they would get that. You think that that would connect with them. Jesus often did that. He often uh, compared himself to, to light or bread or the door or, or the shepherd. He used images that were commonplace in society uh, to paint a picture of his character and who he was. And so you would think when Jesus spoke this, when he said this, that people would get it, right? That they would understand. They would go, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, Jesus is the shepherd, and, and he calls our name, and we follow him, and he leads, and, and we follow behind. But, but not everyone gets it. But there, there are some people who hear that and go, that's weird, or that, that's that's crazy talk, right? I don't understand uh, what you're saying. Look at verse 6. It says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, the them that he's referring to, incidentally, are the, I think the Pharisees that we see back in chapter 9. We're going to go back there a little later, but he's talking to spiritual leaders. He's talking to people that... You would think that would resonate with them. You would think that they would understand that or get that. But they don't. And they're just lost. They shrug their shoulders and they're like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus continues on in verse 7. He says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only uh, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying there's, there's one way into the fold. Right? If you want access uh, to the sheep, 
If you want in there, there, there's one way. There's only one way. He's making an exclusive claim. Right? And he's saying, I, I am the door. Right? There's, there's one entrance. You can't go in the back. There's not a basement entrance. Right? There's, there's one way to enter. And Jesus is saying, I am it. There's only one way. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find a pasture. So Jesus, again, is making exclusive claims about his work. He's not saying there's a whole lot of legitimate ways out there. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of doors that you can take. You can take door number one or door number two or door number three. He's saying, no, there, there's door number one, and I'm it. And that's it. There's only one way. Jesus uh, writes and he, he speaks and he says, all others are thieves and robbers. Uh, the thief comes, verse 10, to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, so there is a way uh, to experience life uh, through Christ. There's a way to experience life uh, through Jesus. And then there's another way, and Jesus refers to it as, as being marked by thieves and robbers. The thief, uh, the thief comes to steal uh, and kill and destroy. He's saying that uh, there is an enemy out there. Right? And the enemy speaks lies. Right? The enemy wants you to listen to his voice. The enemy wants you to believe that life can be found by, by following him. Uh, but, but the enemy is up to no good. The enemy just exists to steal and kill and destroy. If that is true, and I believe that it is, if there is an enemy who seeks to steal and kill and destroy, doesn't it make sense that we be on the lookout? Like as, as a people of God, doesn't it make sense that we have this, this heightened sense of awareness that there is an enemy that wants to take us out? I mean, doesn't it make sense that, that we would have this heightened sense or, or this feeling that not all is good in the world? That, that we can't simply coast or frolic our way through life without facing any sort of opposition whatsoever. I love this quote by author uh, Ed Welch. Uh, he writes in his book, A Banquet in the Grave, about our attitude toward temptation and our attitude uh, toward facing an enemy in life. Listen to what he writes. He says, The only possible attitude toward our sinful desire is a declaration of all-out war. Uh, there is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves, and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs, and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little, of, uh, little or no sleep, War keeps us vigilant. But I, lo I love that, that imagery, that, that idea of man, being at war and being at the woods. And you, you're listening for the snap of a twig. You're listening for the, the rustling of, of the leaves as they, they blow by. Even when you are exhausted and tired, you have a, a heightened sense of awareness that there is an enemy out there who is coming to seek to steal and destroy. He's coming to take you out. And so Ed Welch in this quote is saying, and I think Jesus is saying, is there, there's an enemy out there. Be on the lookout. Right now, there, there are some church... Um, I mean, some of us grew up in church traditions where anytime something happens, like Satan did it. Right? Like your stock goes down and you're rebuking Satan. Right? Like your team doesn't win, they exit the tournament early, and you're like, the devil did it. Right? You miss out on a sales at Macy's, and you're like, oh, Satan's up to no good. I think there's some danger in that. Right? We, we, we don't look in every bush and go, well, Satan made me do it, or, or it's Satan. Okay, but I think we would be wise as a people of God to realize 
that life is not a game. It is not a game. And there is an enemy out there who seeks to take us out. Right? And so, so we, don't, we, don't, we don't live paralyzed. Right? Like when we leave the house, I don't swing open the van doors from the living room and tell the boys to duck and run and don't look back. I'm not like, don't look behind you, boys. Just run to the van. Run to the van. It's not that. I'm going to walk around the house trigger happy doing clean sweeps of the living room. Right? I'm not like, clear. You guys can come in the kitchen now. Let's eat dinner. You don't live like that. But, but there is an enemy that wants to take us out. Right? And so our relationships with one another, right? there, there's this heightened sense like, man, I, I, wa- I want to be God-honoring as I speak to people, as I interact with people. I, I want to be careful in the things that I say or do. I want to I watch who I'm hanging with and who's speaking into my life. Like, I, I, I want to look over my shoulder a time or two and go, man, like, am I going in the right direction? Or, or are, we, are we moving in, in the right way? You know, we, we want this heightened sense of God's people that, man, if, if we get lethargic, if we get lazy, if we get haphazard in our walk with him, if we are in the foxhole in life and we stick our heads up and we get cocky, we can be taken out like that. And so I, I think when, when we read this, there's this sense where we go, all right, and th- there's an enemy out there. And I want to I be careful. I want to look over my shoulder. I want to make sure I'm, I'm surrounding uh, myself with, with wisdom, uh, with, with godliness. Life, uh, life is not a joke. Christian life is not a joke. We can't just kind of coast our way through. And there, there's, there's stuff that happens every a day. I mean, tragic stories that you hear about. And nobody plans for it. Nobody thinks it's going to happen. It happens. Because we let our guard down. As a, as a people of God, I pray that we would not let our guard down. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Here's the good news. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so there are two ways contrasted here. There's, there's the enemy who comes to, to destroy, to take us out. And there's uh, the good shepherd. There's Jesus who has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. There's a, a certain a type of life that God calls us to live and experience, right? He calls us to, to live uh, and experience uh, the abundant life in life with God. And as, as we walk with God, as we follow God, as uh, as we follow him faithfully, uh, God, God gives us this uh, abundant life. The abundant life is not an abundance in life. Right? The, the abundant life is not you get everything you want. Right? The abundant life is not God makes you rich and, and happy. And, and you wish upon a star and it, and it happens. That's not the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. But there is, there is a life to be had uh, when we walk faithfully with the Lord. Right? There, there's something that, that happens when we follow Jesus and, and we listen as God's Spirit calls and moves us. There's times when we walk away from conversations or experiences and we just go, man, I, I think God has created me for, for that. Have you ever had that experience before? Like, have you, ever, have you ever had a conversation with someone before? Maybe it's unexpected. You run into someone at Starbucks or, or the store or an old friend or someone on the soccer field. And you, you feel like there's this moment where where God gives you an opportunity to, to speak his name or, or to have a significant conversation or to pray for a friend. And, I mean, it could look like any number of things, but you, you just take advantage of it, you know? Like you walk away from it and you go, man, I, like I think in that moment, like I was faithful to what God was calling me to. And there's this sense where you go, God, you've, like, I think you've called me to that. Like I think that's the abundant life that you're talking about. The, the abundant life that, that Jesus is talking about doesn't, doesn't mean that, that all of us 
get dropped off in a third world country with two fistfuls of tracts and, and we're like handed them out to everyone. I mean, like the abundant life with Christ, with Jesus, can be like just faithfully uh, living the day that God places before you. Right? And so maybe that's, that's going to work and working hard. Right? You put in an honest day's wage. As a, as a mom, maybe that's just like doing the best with, with what's before you. Right? And there's some spilled milk and there's some crummy lunches and man, you, you get frustrated a time or two. But at the end of the day, you're like, man, I, I, was, I was faithful with what God placed before me. I feel like, I feel like that's the abundant life with Jesus. Maybe you have an opportunity to speak into your neighbor's life and, and speak the name of Christ or share the gospel or invite someone to church or share your faith or just, I mean, just love on someone. And I mean, I feel like there's opportunities all along the way that God gives us just to go, man, just walk with me, just walk with me, just walk with me. I think that's the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here. It doesn't have to be uh, miraculous. It doesn't have to be something that they write books about 20 years from now or 100 years from now. It can just be, just be faithful with what God puts before you. That's the life that Jesus invites us to. He invites us uh, to enjoy uh, the abundant life. And so oftentimes we spend life tasting, like we're trying to experience uh, something. I feel like God is calling us time and time again to himself and says, come experience life uh, with me. Experience life uh, with me. So Jesus knows you and he he knows me. He, He provides life uh, for his children, for you uh, and for me. And scripture also teaches us uh, that God protects us. He protects you and he protects me. Look at verse 11 in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life uh, that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Uh, this charge I have received from my Father. Remember last week how we were talking about uh, the life of Christ? We were talking about the I am statements. And, and we were saying that, uh, that some folks make the argument that Jesus came just primarily to show us how to live a good life. He was, he was the prime moral example for us. He was the, the target on the wall but there's some, there's some pushback uh, by some who, uh, who say, you know, Jesus didn't really come to die. Uh, he simply came to show us how to live. And uh, we, we pushed back on that a little bit. We said, no, uh, Jesus seems singularly focused uh, when he comes onto the scene. Uh, it seems as if he's teaching more than simply uh, follow my moral example. Right? Here's yet another example of why I think uh, that is the case. Look at, look at what Jesus, right after he says, man, I've, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We kind of take that and we, we separate it from everything else. And we just say, well, God wants us to have the abundant life. Jesus didn't come to die. He came uh, to give us life. But then verse 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life uh, for the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you life. I offer you abundant life. And the way that I offer you abundant life is I lay down my life for you. Right? I, I die, Jesus says, so you can live. Because right? that's what the good shepherd does. If, if enemies come, if, if the one comes in the side door, you know, the, the one that his feet's kind of dangling from the, the side window of the house, like, if you see that when you're driving by, you know more than likely that that guy isn't coming in the front door. He's an enemy, right? Well, Jesus is saying there's enemies that come in uh, the side door that, that don't care about the sheep. Because at the first sniff of trouble, they're gone, right? They roll out. Maybe you've had friends like that in your life before. 
Right? There's people that you walk with that say, hey, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to be here for you. But the first sniff of trouble in your life, and they're gone. Right? This happens when you're 16 years old and you're at the party when your parents are gone, right? You're hanging with your buddies and you're partying because partying you think your parents are gone. And man, you're, you're like, man, no matter what happens, we're in it. We're like this. We're blood brothers. Nothing's going to separate us. And then all of a sudden you see the headlights in the driveway and mom and dad are home and everyone scatters. Right? And mom and dad start asking questions, and you're throwing your friends under the bus so quickly. Man, all of a sudden, like, they're, they're gone. Because right? they don't, don't care about you. They care about their own reputation. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. Right? When trouble comes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking around. I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to bail on you. I'm going to be here for you. Look at verse 17. It says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I'm amazed by that statement. And Jesus is saying, Listen, no, one, no one's taking my life from me. Like no one's taking my life from me. This, this is something that I'm willingly doing. Like, I came for this reason, right? It's, it's not that I've been overpowered by forces out there. I'm laying down my life. And this is a repeated theme in John chapter 10. Uh, verse 11 says, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay, uh, I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, I lay it down on my own accord. So this is the chorus that Jesus is, is singing. He's like, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep over and over and over again. So why, why does he say that? I mean, you, he, he makes a claim like this, and, and as, as readers of the word, we, we kind of pull back and we go, okay, like, why does, that, why does that matter? Why does it matter? Like, can, can we ask, so, so what? And let's ask the question, why does it matter? Why does it matter that, that Jesus came to lay down his life for his sheep? Why does it matter that he, he knows our name? Why does it matter that he provides life for us? Why does it matter that he provides for us? I think it I think it matters for a number of reasons. I think it matters because uh, there is going to be a point in time in life when you're going to get lost in the shuffle. But there are moments in life uh, when you will see yourself as incredibly unmemorable. Right? There, there are moments in life when you are going to get lost in the crowd. There are going to be moments in life when you feel as if God has his A-team and then he's got his... Like Z team, and you're on it. You're going to feel like nobody knows my name. Nobody understands or feels what I'm feeling right now. Nobody knows my struggles. Nobody knows what I'm going through. People uh, don't understand. You're going to feel like a, a second class citizen at times. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter who you know. There will be moments when you feel all alone and you feel forgotten, right? And you're going to sheepishly look up and God's going to speak your name. And he's going to say, I I know you. I know you. I know your name. And so it matters that Jesus is our good shepherd and he knows us. Uh, It it matters that that Jesus provides life for us because there are moments when you're going to deal with your own mess. There's moments in life when we deal uh, with our own sin, whether we've brought it on ourselves or whether uh, it's been inflicted upon us by others. I mean, we just, we live in a fallen world. Life is messy, and so we, we wrestle with that stuff. Right? And, and there are times in life when it feels like we're going through quicksand and it feels like we're dragging our feet. And it, and it matters in those moments that, that Jesus says to us, I offer to you abundant life. But it matters to us today that there's an enemy out there that seeks to kill and destroy. Right? Because we've we got to navigate through this. It doesn't get easier. 
doesn't get easier. I, I've yet to talk to someone who's followed Christ for 40 years or 50 years and goes, you know what, it's a whole lot easier now than it was when I was 10 or when I was 20 or when I was 30. I do not believe it gets easier. I, I say that and that scares me to death, right? Because there's times when I'm like 20 where I'm like, man, this is tough. This is hard. It doesn't get easier, right? It gets harder. I mean, there's, there's doubts that creep in and you deal with junk in life and you see the fallenness of creation, Right? And we need to know that it's important that we're on our guard and that we're alert. And we need to know that there is hope in the midst of that, that Jesus offers to us abundant life. It, it matters to us because there are times uh, in life when we will realize that we are not indestructible. Right? There are times in life when we realize that our, that our bodies will break down. Right? We're not 18 years old anymore. We can't eat a full pizza in one sitting and go outside and play a soccer game and then run to basketball and, and hang out with your friends and play a pickup game and, and just kind of do whatever we want and leap tall buildings. There will be a moment in time when we realize that, that we are frail, right? And the people that we love the most are frail, all right? And in those moments, we need to know that we have a good shepherd who doesn't bolt Right? who in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our frailty, is there for us. Right? And so this, this matters. This is important. So how do we respond? You hear that or I hear that and we go, okay. Now, I, I want us to be encouraged by that. I want us to, that to fill our hearts with courage and life. But how do we respond to that? It's, it's interesting. You, you would think that uh, someone who says, uh, I, I know your name and I love you and I care for you and I'm going to provide for you and protect you, you, you would think that uh, that would be well-received. Well, that's pretty good news. But, but it seemed like Jesus was uh, someone who, who divided a whole lot more than uh, sometimes we think he did. Because there, there are people who heard that message and thought he was crazy. And there are other people who heard that message and thought uh, he is the Christ. When Jesus is speaking these words in Matthew or in John chapter 10, uh, right after this, really the same conversation he's having uh, with the Pharisees right before this. Pharisees uh, think that they're in. They think they know God. They think that they love God and God loves them. But I, I want you to notice this. Look at John chapter 9 real quick. John, uh, Jesus says in John 9 verse 39, uh, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, uh, If you are blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, uh, your guilt remains. So Jesus is saying to the people who think they see, uh, you are actually blind. You think you know God, but you don't. At the end of this conversation in, in John chapter 10, uh, it says in verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Like, I, I want us as, as a church, as, as a people of God, to, to realize that like, we're either all in or we're all out. Like, I don't think there's another option. I don't think with Jesus there is this, this middle ground. I mean, Jesus is a, he's a fork in the road. Right? He, he stands up in front of the people in the temple and he says, I am the light. I am the glory of God. He stands in front of the Pharisees and says, I am the door. The only way to the Father is through me. 
I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And people hear these words, and, and I, think, I think we either say uh, he has a demon and he's insane, or we say he is the Christ. Right? And so my hope and my prayer as is, is a pastor is that we would look to the claims of Christ and God would so stir our hearts through the power of his Holy Spirit that we would look to him and we would say, he is the Christ. Right? And we would aggressively and, and unashamedly pursue him and follow after him by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, if you are here this morning and, and you're on the fence, then I, I pray that you would walk away and with this sense that, man, like pick a side. Like, like just go, man, I'm, I'm in or I'm out. And I, and I pray that you just be open about it and honest about it. But you can't straddle the fence. But if you're here this morning and you, man, you, you love Jesus, you feel like God has miraculously reached down and called you and said, you are mine, like you're my, my chosen son or daughter, I pray this morning uh, that your heart would be encouraged to know that God knows your name. He provides life uh, for you and for me. And he protects you. He gives you hope uh, for today and for all of eternity. And I pray that your hearts would be stirred uh, by that truth. Now let's pray together and thank God for his goodness. God, thank you so much for uh, your grace and for uh, your goodness to us. Uh, thank you that you do not leave us uh, on our own. Thank you that there are moments in life, Lord, where I feel like you, you speak to us, where you, you talk to us, where, where you call us. And Lord, we cannot outrun you. We, we can't get away, Lord. If you're pursuing us, there's nowhere where we can go. And so I pray that, uh, that we would lift up our hands and just say, Lord, you, I'm, I'm yours and, and I'm in uh, for you. God, thank you so much for, uh, for the good shepherd. Life is not about what we do for Jesus, but about what Jesus has done for us. And so we thank you so much for the picture that we have in your word of a shepherd that, that knows our name, uh, that provides life for us and protects us and gives us hope uh, for today and for all of eternity. God, we love you. Uh, we commit these things to you and we pray them in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. if you would this morning.